just can't get tired of that you can't wow we can't can they i don't know i feel we hear it a lot more than the outsiders we probably do and we probably should be sick of it by now and have totally re-recorded a new jingle theme thing but we haven't but yet we still dance we do we have our whole intro ritual that we do oh yeah where we marty has to jump up high to give me a high five because i'm so tall too much information, Jarrett. Just like, you know, pull it back. These are secret, top secret. Reel it in. Society type <laughs> rituals that we do. Hey, everybody. Hey, outsiders. Welcome to Outside the Mic. I am Jarrett Weimer. I am Martin Meyer. And we banter all things music related. All matters music. We banter all matters musical. And sometimes other things that we didn't even think we were going to banter, we start bantering about. So there you go. Right. It's banter worthy. Banter here on birdie. OTM. Birdie. Have you ever played that? Birdie? No. What's that called, actually? Tennis? You know? No, there's other little little rackets, and it's a birdie. You do that thing. Pickleball. Oh, man. Pickleball's a new thing. Well, not a new thing, but it's a it's pretty popular right now. I know that's not what you're talking about. What is it? It is, and I'm feeling so stupid that right off the bat, and I used to play this as a kid, badminton. 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 <laughs> badminton. Badminton, I think, is how it's spelled. You might have to look bad that up. Bad little mitten, you. Have you never played badminton, Jerry? I'm sure, I'm sure that I have. Here's the thing, Marty. Yeah. It wasn't until I was about 18 did I become bodily coordinated. Okay, so <laughs> a lot of my childhood life I spent... Yes, I might have attempted to play it, but I'm not sure if I actually played it. You know what I mean? There's a difference. 18? Well, I'm just... If we're going to be honest, you have to jump up to give me a high five. I was... Kind of an awkward fat kid. You would have knocked me over and I would have been out cold on the floor after I did that. Yeah. I don't believe that at all because you're a guitar player, so you were coordinated in your hands. Just that. It's you from the fingers, it stopped there, and then it just got worse as you went through down the arms. Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. while you're, you know, echoing sentiments from the past... My computer's not finding badminton, so I have no idea. I know that's what it's called, but I think our Wi-Fi is a little slow today. Could be. But uh, anyway. Hey, you got some shout-outs, right? Outsider Spotlight? Outsider Spotlight. Absolutely. So uh, I just want to thank everybody who uh, did a little share and like on Facebook. So I'm going to run through the list real quick. You guys were a huge help. Got great feedback. Good listens off of that. Thank you, Outsiders. So we've got Miss Abby. Uh, who I worked with over at the school. She did a little share. And my good childhood friend, Aspen, growing up together, she's awesome. Uh, Runs a cool, um, what do you want to call it? Dog groomer, animal shelter, um, vacation place for animals up in Rapid City there. She's Really? What's it called? Do you know? Oh, gosh. She's going to kill me because I don't. uh Uh-oh. I'll think about it. You might have to edit that in later. Edit that in, right? Okay. And we got my good old Jim Foley. The Slug Foley shared it. Thanks, Jim. All right, Jim. We got Mary and Rick and my wife, Easton. You guys are awesome. That was cool. Now, you did something where you... <clears throat> what did you do? You asked if they would share one of your posts or comment on your post, and then they got the shout-out? Yeah, well, How I realized... This? 
I realized Honor. that I hadn't really shared what we were doing personally on my personal Facebook page. So I thought, well, I'm just going to say, hey, pals, check out my podcast. And if you like it, give it a share. Would love the support. And people showed up. It was Right cool. on. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. We're pretty pleased. We don't like to talk a lot about the whole stat thing anymore because we're just happy that we have... You know, we'll just say it's a fair amount of people that apparently want to check in every other week when we put something out. We'd like to, obviously, anybody doing something like this, you'd love to see your audience grow. And it does seem like it is, but I think we have enough of a base of uh, kind of sort of loyal outsiders that are enjoying what we're doing. And they're glad to see that. Yeah. Thank you, all five of you. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> what did we say last season? If we had 10, we'd keep going. Oh, shoot, we went down. Yeah, so you better you better <laughs> knock it up to 10 at least. I did find it's badminton. There we go. I don't know why it's spelled that way, because we always just called it badminton when we were kids. Min, like M-I-N? It's like bad and then minton, M-I-N-T-O-N. So if you've never played Jeez. badminton, we're going to have a round of badminton this week. And then Jarrett's going to talk about his experience and how his bodily coordination worked playing badminton we totally should and i bet i'm going to be really bad at badminton <laughs> can't be a mint at least you're it's like there's this good, kid so. named mitten and everybody's like you're so bad mitten right <laughs> now i'm gonna end up looking up the whole origin of that there's a little kid named mitten he was yeah. a little chubby kid like i was super uncoordinated but you know what he found out instead of tennis you just put a little tail on this ball and you flick it with your tennis racket and come on man <laughs> Sorry. I don't know, uh, but it sounds good, right? Yeah, it does. It does. But maybe that will end up being the actual accurate origin story. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? So Sounds good to me, fiction or not. Yeah, yeah. right on. Right, right on. on. You know, we had some comments, and we just want to touch on that briefly. Uh, you know, we always want to survey people and think we're going to get, you know, a lot of responses to that. <laughs> but uh, apparently some people want us to just get into the meat of the show right away. I have heard that from people. Uh, they're like they're looking forward to whatever it is we're talking about. We call it the meat, the story, the outside the mic, whether it's, you know, one of our other segments. But and then other people actually express the fact that they just want to hear us do this kind of goofy banter type stuff. But um, which we enjoy, obviously, and that's always going to be a part of the show. But uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see. I'd, I'd be curious to know how that how that really statistically shows up. Right. I agree with you. But before we we get too far into that, can Mm -hmm. I, I've got a little, you got another, (laughs) (laughs) not to go against what the listeners want, but can I, can we do a little bit of a uh, misunderstood lyric? Oh yeah. That's a good thing. I think to jump into. I've got one for you. Yeah, That's some meat. That's more like an appetizer. We'll do the appetizer. Let's do it. Get us the chips and salsa first. Mm. Mm. Okay. Ready? Here we go. Okay. So I heard this and I can't take full credit for it because there was a comedian that I saw on Facebook and I forget his name. I'll figure it out later and check back in. But he had a whole segment of misunderstood lyrics and I thought this one was hilarious and I had to share it with you. Okay. My hopes is you, you haven't heard it and you won't know it and it's going to be funny. So, so here. you know, folks, I literally have not. I, in fact, I had no idea you were going to do it, which is kind of neat. We haven't done one yet this season, a misunderstood lyric. I love these. I even was going to, I even asked Marty, I said, do you want to know, at least know the song that we're going to look at? And he said, no. So yeah, I wanted to know nothing. I know nothing. 
<laughs> I better know the song when you play it. That'll we'll see. Okay, so I'm just going to play it. Okay. And I'm going to kind of just cue you in the line. Okay, it's like the second line that she sings. Okay. And just just, just see what she says, okay? I'm Here we pushing go. pushing my headphones on my ear. I'm Here we listening go. very closely. Here we go. All right. Okay, first of all, <laughs> this is not even the original lyrics to that song. It so is. this is what, a COVID version of I'll Never Fall in Love Again? No, it's Bobby Gentry, I'll Never Fall in Love Again. No, you know who wrote this song? Who did? This is an old song. I'm, I'm thinking it was Burt Bacharach. Okay, and we'll have to look at that. Yeah, we're going to, because I love the Carpenters. Uh, he wrote their very first big hit that was the big breakthrough for them uh just like me they long to be close to you oh, okay and he wrote a slew of like number one hits so okay so what, uh, what do you get when you kiss a guy yeah enough germs to catch pneumonia it's the next line after that something about he'll never bone you <laughs> that's that's <laughs> what i heard but i don't I exactly be, yeah okay here we go let's do it again That's all it is. It's got to be it. That's, after you do, he'll never bone you. How could it be anything else? That's what she's saying. I hear you. And I listened to it 10 times, and it sounds like she's putting a, a B in there. Mm -hmm. It's, after you do, he'll never phone you. No way. Because yep. I, I thought that. I thought, well, phone you, but why did she say buh? That's exactly it. It just sounds too, too much like it. Here we go. One more time. <laughs> I'm still, uh, I don't know about that. She's never going to fall in love again. Okay, and you, when was the song released? When was it? Um, let released? me look, let me see if I can find that really fast. So bummed about it. Written by Bert. Back. Back rack. But you got it. Yeah, okay. Good job. You. Thank you. And it doesn't tell me when it was written, so let me do a little Google search real fast. But then when was this version released that's the thing that i would i would like to know so get this as of 2014 mm -hmm. and this is in reference to bert freeman Bacharach, one of my favorite writers i love him it shows how old i am he had written <laughs> 73 us and 52 uk top 40 hits wow 73 in the us that's awesome yeah he's considered one of the most important composers of the 20th century for popular music, and yet people do that to his songs and, and change the lyrics. So that's not the lyrics, huh? Bone, you know that is not. It says uh, produced by Kelsa Hurston, written by Bert and Hal David. Release okay. date August first, nineteen sixty nine. Okay, I want to look up the actual lyrics to that song. Um, Never fall in love again. Arranged by Don song, Tweedy. So. Cover of original Broadway cast of Promises, Promises. So. It looks like an old, old, it's got old, it's, she's old, Bobby Gentry, right? That's old stuff right there. Okay, but but what's the line before that then? So, Something about a germ. And yeah, a, the, it's a, the line before is, what do you do, get when you kiss a guy, enough germs, catch pneumonia. Here we go. That was perfect, by the way. Because if that's the actual lyric, then. Hold on, here it comes, here it comes, here it goes. I, it, it's got to be. 
I guess now that I know that it could be phone. Now that now uh, that you know it's phone, you hear phone. But before she's putting quite the quite the plosive on that there word phone, and it sounds like bone. Okay, so I'm sorry, my bad. This is mind-boggling to me. I just found the original. I think the original release was Dionne Warwick, and Dionne Warwick. Do you know? Do you know Dionne? No. Incredible, incredible voice, hmm. and she. I think she was working directly with Burt Bacharach because she was the artist who released a lot of the songs that he wrote, including I'll Never Fall in Love Again. (laughs) But I had no idea. It says, what do you get when you kiss a guy? You get enough germs to catch pneumonia. After you do, he'll never phone you. I'll never fall in love with you. What a jerk. (laughs) You give the girl pneumonia and then you don't even phone her? My, my, my. I said f- phone. You know, what? It, isn't that kind of a... Because actually, right away, I thought, oh, this is a COVID version of, ah. that, of that song. What do you get when you kiss a guy? You get COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Not politically correct right now <laughs> to just kiss some guy that you don't really know what because he'll never... What do you get when you sneeze on a guy? Song. You know what? We're going to listen. I'm sorry. We're good. If my computer will do it, I want to hear just a little bit of Dion singing this. I want to hear him sing, what do you do? What do you get when you kiss a guy? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's a version like that. Maybe there's... Uh, you get pneumonia. Guys. <laughs> guys. <laughs> oh, what, says, yeah. What, what do you get when you kiss a girl? Is that what he says? Well, no. That If there's a guy covering Because that's it, a little risque back it, so. in the 60s, isn't it? Well, it I guess be. maybe not. It would be a little risque. I wonder if Dion's even alive anymore. Hmm. I've got to get our Wi-Fi fixed, Jarrett, so we can do these instant this... fact checks. This is, for some reason, is just taking a really long time. So we might have to wait till later in the show to listen to Dion sing it. Okay. Just so you can appreciate her incredible voice. Oh, it's a Dion. her? Oh, yes, it is. here we go. I thought it was a dude. Here we go. No, no, no. Dion. Yeah, that's right. There's guys named Dion, but <laughs> Dion is a... I see why you got confused. Right. So Dion. Is this the same song? What See, do you get go. when this you don't it. have good Wi-Fi? Fall in love. Good voice, huh? All right. And do you know when this was released? 1969. <laughs> I don't know. It's, not, <laughs> well, it was, it's it was, not showing me on here. The one I, I the Bobby Gentry one was August 1st, 1969, yeah. so I don't know. This is a 2006 remaster, so anyway. Okay, I guess enough of that. Right here, right here. There we go. Let's see how she says it. See, Dion says phone, and you can understand what she's saying. Well, if he doesn't phone you, then chances are it's not going to go much farther than that. I say she did that on purpose, just so that it would be more intriguing when people were listening to it. Just like our Bruce Springsteen song. Mm -hmm. What was that again? Uh, Revved up like a douche. (laughs) Revved up like a douche, exactly. Revved up like a deuce instead of a douche. I almost think they did that one on purpose. Deuce is an engine, right? We talked about that. Yeah, it's a little car, little little deuce coupe. So I'm wondering now, where did you listen to that song? Were you really familiar with that song? Not at all. So I'm going to give the guy credit because his show was funny as heck. And I I stole it, and I think he'll be fine. Peter Kay is a... uh, 
British comedian, mm-hmm. and he does a whole segment called Misheard Lyrics. And so I was oh, listening okay, through. that's right. You said that. Yeah, he had a Michael okay. Jackson one that was super funny, uh, Celine Dion, and then uh, he did that one, and I thought, well, that's mm-hmm. funny. We'll do that. And this was Bobby Gentry? Bobby Gentry, yeah. I know Bobby Gentry. In fact, I was You know just her personally? With, uh, I do. Wow. Uh, used to hang out. We'd like, you know, we'd go to the park and swing. Hey, you like got really cool. you outsiders want to yeah. hear something really cool that Marty doesn't isn't going to share with you right now? No, I'll share Lord. it anyways. Back when he <laughs> went to Grove School of Music. Hold on, don't put your buzzer away. Okay. He when he lived in L.A. He used to hang out with none other than Miss Cheryl Crow. I did not hang out with Cheryl Crow, Jared. Mm. Okay, if you, that's this is a new segment of our show called Let's Stretch the Truth. Well, I'm just saying I've never been in the same room as Cheryl Crow, yet you have. Okay, well, so I'll tell the story. I will. I will try to be as brief as possible and tell the story. I did have a neat experience that um, where I was. I I got to meet Cheryl Crow, but I wasn't hanging out. <laughs> we used to go to a club when I lived in Santa Monica. It was called At My Place, and it was on Santa Monica Boulevard. And there was a guy. And if you've ever heard of Michael Ruff, you know why we would go back and listen to this guy. And if you've never, did I say if you've ever heard? If you've never heard of Michael Ruff, (laughs) go look him up online. And he's a super talented writer, keyboard player, singer. So we went to see Michael Ruff. And Michael Ruff actually wrote some songs that were covered by other people. I think he has one that was covered by Bonnie Raitt, and I can't think of the title right now. But So he was doing okay. Uh, I think he lived in Hawaii at the time, performed there. Sheryl Crow was his backup singer at the time there was her and some other gal but he would let cheryl sing a song or two throughout the night and she was so captivating you know even you know when i reflect back on that when her cd first came out i was a little disappointed at first because she was singing a lot more it was a little bit different stylistically she was doing this pop stuff it was a little quicker the stuff that she sang with michael was always really jazzy really just smooth jazz kind of stuff and really nice. featured her voice. And I was captivated and I did get to meet her one night. But it was interesting because literally about uh, two years after we first saw her, she came out with her first album, which was a Tuesday hmm. Night Music Club, and the rest is history. About a year later, um, she was huge and has been huge pretty much ever. See, since. and he so. fails to tell you that him and the guys, they all sat around, Cheryl Crow was there, and they all, you know... They had a couple drinks and they were hanging out at this, uh, what's it called? At your place? At my place. At my place they're, club. They're hanging out with Cheryl Crow at my place. That's, That's all the I need story to say, and I'm so. sticking to it. Yeah. Well, I guess if I put it that way, then it could just be, I <laughs> hung out with Cheryl Crow at my place. There you go. <laughs> That's all I need to say. She apparently had already at that point been pretty successful as a backup vocalist in the studio and on tour. She toured with Michael Jackson, I believe, too. Isn't that crazy? Didn't how many stories is like that? So like Don Henley and uh, and uh, Glenn Fry were backup to Joni Mitchell, right? Um, Right, and she, Cheryl Crow, sang backup on Don Henley's album, his first solo album. Really? Yeah, yeah. Jeez. It was a song, What If the Time Keeps Ticking, Ticking, Ticking Away. Oh, man, that was a bad, bad. I can't even remember that song, but anyway. He sang backup for who? Uh, Joni Mitchell, wasn't it? Didn't know that. Yeah, he totally did. I I think that's how Don Henley and Glenn Frey met. I did not know that. Well, he didn't sing, but I think he played, he was the drummer. Oh, get out of here with that. 
you know, if I had been at the time, you know, not to say that I'm not perfectly happy as it is anyway, but I do remember thinking, gosh, she'd be a really neat gal to, to date, but I never, I didn't have the courage to try to pursue Cheryl Crow. She would have thought I was a stalker probably. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Not that I was like, you know, creepy. I wore nice clothes. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the clothes that you wore. It's all about the clothes I wore. So anyway, uh, moving on. This yeah. is going to be one of those experiences here with our show where we don't, we're not certain we have enough, and then we end up going longer than we thought we would. Every week, I'm like, "Yeah, my story's going to be like five minutes long, honestly." And then we get into it, and it's like a half hour. So we yeah. better roll into it. We Martin. better roll into it. So I have a little bit of follow up because I was intrigued enough by the story of Orion of Orion. My biggest mistake thus far is calling Orion Orion for at least half the show last week. Then I let you go. You I did. let you go on. And then you were and, like, um, how do you spell it? Well, see, Jared, that shows you just how much faith I have in you. I assumed that whatever you were pronouncing was the correct I way to know a dude, and, and it's spelled the same way, and he his name is Orion, okay? You do not. I <laughs> do, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Okay. It took me a while to figure out. I'm like, is he trying to say Orion? Um, he is. He was. Hey, bud, next time, just you just got to go right out with it. Don't, don't sit there and yeah. question. Just help me out. Help a brother out right away. Well... <laughs> We're trying not to do a bunch of edits, and Jared actually was kind of wanting to, to edit at first because he felt pretty bad, but <laughs> I think it's just fine. You know, it's interesting about that and reflecting back on, we did what we would call a mock episode before we ever released anything. And we just thought, we came in one day, we didn't have our theme, we didn't have anything. We knew it was called Outside the Mic. And we just said, let's just turn the mics on and let's just sit here and BS for a while and see how it feels and see what we come up with. Right. So I was listening to that. In fact, I've got just a brief little chunk from there. <laughs> um, it oh, was interesting. No. It was in that first episode, it was the experimenting with the smoke on the water theme. Oh, which yeah. We were kind of doing variations on that, mm -hmm. which led us to our theme. Right. Right, we were jamming on smoke on the water, and they're like, "Oh, we should kind of have the groove kind of similar to that." And then it ended up twisting into this funky, yeah, this funk groove. So it worked out, but it it's did. crazy. I don't, to I don't think, think anybody that. without knowing would listen to our theme now and say that hatched from smoke on the water. I we're mean. admitting a lot on this episode that we probably shouldn't. <laughs> Maybe more than we should. <laughs> but what I also noticed on that episode, we had touched on that. You ended up doing a story about smoke on the water later, which was great. We, I did something where I was doing an ohm for some reason during that, and we ended oh, up having an episode called Ohm Resolution, Resolution right? Which was never it. It was never anything where we listened to that and decided that this was our storyboard for later on. But we also had. I said during the show that I thought this was going to be good for you, Jarrett, because it's going to increase your vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even that know That was a why. thing before we even knew it was a thing. Yeah, I was picking on him, kind of. So Yeah, that's as always. Yeah, I kind of pick on him. But here was another thing I thought was interesting, because as I move into <laughs> talking about Orion, and if you heard the last episode, this had to do with an Elvis Presley doppelganger, James Hodges Ellis. But here's what Jared also said on the first episode. Let me hit play here. Elvis ate a lot of food. He ate a lot of food. But I don't talk. 
He did. He died on the toilet, didn't he? He did. He actually Well, but there's the thing where they're not sure if he's actually dead. <laughs> there is the conspiracy that he was sitting in the... Um, well, I was... Okay. Late night Netflix binge. But there was this documentary in it show where he was sitting in the doorway of the house and you could see the little silhouette of Elvis. Oh, I remember that. Another man, probably. Isn't that something? I remember yeah. that, yeah. Okay, so how it went was like there's a big story. Well, okay, so... And I don't want to get too off into it, but of course they... Uh, the conspiracy or whatever that Elvis was an FBI agent used to used his fame and whatever to I don't know go after the drug cartel or something like that. <laughs> anyway, so he got too deep into it, so they killed him off. But mm. during the crime scene at his house, you can see the figure of a man standing in the doorway behind the screen door, uh-huh. and the silhouette is this big hunk with black hair, and and it looks like it could be somebody that looks possibly like. Elvis. This was actual footage. Actual was on footage, this yeah. Documentary, mm-hmm. and that was the crime scene. Do you mean though after he died or another crime scene? No, that's the one. Not necessarily okay. a crime scene, but they were on the scene of the after death. his death. Right. Wow. Yeah. So do you, there's. Just, do you know what that was called? What's what's that? That called? whole documentary or whatever. No, it it's been too long now. I don't remember okay. it. Um, but it was pretty crazy. But then they also said, like, no, there's if we if they remembered right, the layout of his house, there was a chair right in front of this screen door, and so and so detective was sitting there the whole time. So it's probably just him stood up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Watch it, listen. It's I'm sure it's on Netflix still. If not, you know, it's going to be covered. I'm sure. Anyways, it was pretty interesting, and it's like, wow. I, yeah. I think it's fat. Whoops. I think they hit record on my little voice memo there now, so we're going to have all that again. <laughs> and then in five years, we'll listen to that. Looping back to talk about Elvis. But <laughs> I thought that was because we never gave that another thought. I never did. And I'm, I don't think that's where the whole going to the story of Orion came from was because you were thinking about our mock episode, right? No, you know, definitely just, not. And yeah, I think we, we ended up not going with that because we didn't want to talk about the death of Elvis or something like that. We didn't want to cover yeah. that or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't even have, I wasn't even thinking about that, kind of forgot about that. And then I wasn't, we also talked about Amos Lee was a Muslim and his prayer life. wasn't yeah. super great conversation or topic for conversation anyways, but it, no. it birthed something pretty cool. We, we were being a little irreverent when it came to Elvis as well, uh, which I know there's, and I was a huge Elvis fan as a kid anyway, but we were just having fun. And uh, I think essentially what we came away from that with is that we had, we had enough fun doing it, and it felt like it flowed enough to where we, amazingly, we thought we should keep, keep right. going, right? Yeah. And, and here we are today. And thankfully, it's gotten better. So uh, Yeah, it's gotten a little better, a little better. So speaking of Elvis, and speaking of our uh, segment, our your story last time on the episode, I was intrigued enough where I really wanted to take a look, and we kind of talked about some questions that we had sure. at the time. The I left main, it very open ending, so it makes sense. You did. And there was, I mean, with these type of stories, it's kind of like the Edith Piaf thing. There's just so many other questions that I'm sure people listening may wonder too. And some of them may have actually researched on their own. And you might already know this, but a couple of the things, one of the first things is I was curious about how he died. Right. And the more I looked into this, and I really want to watch, there is a documentary and it was uh, actually released fairly recently. It was in 2015. Sweet. Yeah. And it's called, uh, 
I think it's just called Orion or the story of Orion. I'd have to look at the trailer. I should have did better research on that. But I definitely want to watch it. And it was actually released as a, like a full-length film okay. documentary about his life. It's pretty sad because as we speculated, and it looks like to me, everything that happened that compelled and propelled him into this whole role wearing the mask was people trying to make money off of the legend of Elvis. Yeah, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So Elvis died and they're like, oh, you know, think of how much money Elvis made and how many fans he has. What can we do? Uh, down to the, the gal writing the book, which I think was the first thing that prompted it. And obviously that, mm-hmm. even though that. she didn't directly reference Elvis, it was pretty obvious. You had mentioned that, that the book was based on Elvis. Right. A fictional character, very similar to a popular singer. Didn't like his career anymore. Yeah. Killed him off. Yeah. So that he didn't have to deal with all the whatever, the fame. And and he was called Orion. Right. Orion. Orion, yeah. <laughs> Orion. Just kidding. I don't want to get anybody confused. It's Orion. Uh, he was called Orion. Uh, it says here, it, just for the heading for the documentary, it says he sounded like Elvis, swiveled his hips like the superstar, and spent his stage life behind a mask. Tragedy of doppelganger singer who sparked speculation he was the real king is revealed in the new documentary. So I'm dying to see this documentary. And basically, he was forced to wear this mask. I think it was because of his deal with the record company. Sure. Old old Sheldon. Good old worm Sheldon. Yeah. Sheldon Singleton. Was it Sheldon? Is it? Shelly. Was it? Yeah. Somebody Singleton. Shelly the Worm Singleton. Yeah, Shelly the Worm. We'll just call him that right now. Right. So he was the one who, after being inspired by seeing this book, decided they were going to do this. And even down to, you can't, um, you know, some of the responsibility lies with good old Jimmy, too. James Hodges Ellis. Yeah. I mean, at first I had the thought of, oh, poor guy. He got stuck into this. Mm -hmm. But then you even played a clip of an interview with him. He was playing it up big yeah. time that he doesn't take the mask off and, uh, you know, he's Elvis or whatever. It's like, come on. Yeah. What a You're weird. not innocent. What a weird existence. And and the sad part is his life came to an end tragically, too. He had a pawn shop. And, and so in 1998, some dude broke in, actually didn't break in. He came in, according to the testimony of one of the gals who was a witness who didn't die, uh, said he came in looking for wedding rings and he came back. He said he would come back later. He needed to get some money. And then he came and walked in with a sawed off shotgun. He shot. Jeez. Yeah, shot his ex-wife who was working uh, for him in the pawn shop at the time. And he ended up shooting at this other gal, but she basically played dead and, you know, went down to the floor. And then she testified. And this was all on video, too. So what a sad thing. He wasn't that old. He was only like 53 years old at the time. So here's a guy originally started off his career, just wanted to be himself. James Hodges Ellis has a name Ellis, which if you change one letter is Elvis. (laughs) <laughs> right there. It's he was like, doomed from the he was start, doomed. man. Yeah, he was totally doomed. And I did want to just play a real quick little taste of his song. This is his song um, before he was trying to do the Elvis thing. But you can just hear his voice here, too. And you probably listened to this when you are doing it. But we'll play just a little bit of this. Hey, you're a real smart, baby. Don't count your chickens for the hatch. There you go. 
Sounds don't, like Elvis, huh? Don't count your chickens before they hatch. You mentioned that song. Right. And I was so curious. I'm like, well, did he still sound exactly like Elvis? And yeah, he pretty much still sounded exactly like like Elvis. So there you go. Those were kind of the questions I had. I'm going to definitely watch this documentary. The guy who killed him, actually, he was, I don't know if he is alive or not, because he was, he received the death sentence, and wow. he later tried to appeal and I thought that was interesting because the one thing that uh, in his claim to make this appeal, he said that he he pulled out the shotgun. Um, I think he said he didn't, it was an accident when he shot. He didn't mean to shoot the first time. So <laughs> so if you go in with a sawed-off shotgun and it's like accidentally kill somebody, um, Listen, I think you're Judge, still guilty. Yeah. I was going to trade this sawed-off shotgun in on some wedding rings and... Yeah, you know, Jimmy asked me to test it out. So I said, okay. And one thing led to another. <laughs> and then I thought, okay, you know, I shot Jimmy, but, you know, maybe maybe it's defective. And then I shot his ex-wife. So yeah. it's an accident, Your Honor, I promise. <laughs> he said the first shot was fired accidentally. But and what about the second and the third <laughs> shot? He's like, whoa, that was weird. What the? Whoa, that was weird, man. You might want to tighten this trigger up bad, when so. you uh, go to, yeah. Jeffrey Lee, that was his name. And fortunately, he didn't become hmm. too famous for killing Elvis's doppelganger. But uh, we will probably, not to uh, extend that too much, but we will probably discuss it just a little bit. Watch the, uh, you know what, you go into your story, and I am going to look up the title of the documentary just so outsiders know if they want to watch it too, because I think it would be, if you're interested in Elvis and this whole story, I bet the documentary is pretty interesting. I bet. We should watch it. We should. We'll watch that together. Okay, so while you're looking for that, I'm going to dive into the story for today. Totally switching eras genres you got it we're switching it so right on. um today i thought it would be cool to talk about um something cool that kind of happened in punk history uh that i didn't i didn't really know about um and it it was a huge success and um punk history punk yes punk rock we're talking about today gotcha <clears throat> so i want to talk about green day's seventh studio album american idiot and some of its success, uh, but ultimately how it was titled the punk rock opera and uh, how far they, they, they took that. Okay. I'm going to dive into it. So a little okay. backstory on Green Day uh, for those who maybe haven't heard of them yet. Um, that was kind of big as I was growing up, Green Day was. 90, like a late 90s, early 2000s. Um, little backstory. Um, Green Day was an American punk or is an American punk rock band formed by singer and guitarist Billy Joe Armstrong and bassist Mike Durnt. Um, Green Day started in the East Bay of California in 1987 and has for the most part remained a trio. With, East Bay. Yeah, the, the East Bay of California. Which is where? I have no idea. <laughs> Okay. It's, it's, it's capitalized, so I'm wondering if there's a place East, called East I Bay. I should know. I mean, you lived in Southern California, but I always think of the Bay City as being San Francisco, so there must be an East Bay up there. Get your little fingers typing on that there. Carry keyboard. on. I okay. will check. East Bay of California in 1987, um, and they were, for the most part, a trio. So, okay. uh, with, uh, so basically it broke down to uh, Billy Joe Armstrong handling the vocals and guitar, Mike Durnt on bass, and uh, they've had... A couple different drummers over the years. John uh, Kiffmeyer was the original drummer until he was replaced by Trey Cool in 1990. 
Um, Trey Trey is, Cool. I like that name. No, that's a good name. Yeah. 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 It's a cool name. It's cool. Cool. Very cool. Uh, Trey has played with many rock bands through the years, ranging from The Lookouts, uh, Samiam, I don't know that one, and The Dead Mermaids, but mostly notably Green Day. Okay. Um, I think this is cool because I, cool. Here we go. Cool again. But it's cool. But I've always liked Green Day. I've never really actually covered any of the songs. Or, yeah. Or bought the CDs, but I've always liked their stuff a lot. They were so, so important to me in high school. It was like oh. the rebel, you know, you just, you could just feel, you could just be a rebel listening to their music. Okay. And not have to do any rebelness. That, that was the extent of your rebelness, <laughs> listening to their music. Yeah, exactly. Glad, I didn't know that, Jared, that you were that big of a rebel. Oh, you know me. Them, so. so Green Day was considered to be one of the most popular rock acts in the 90s uh, with hit songs like Boulevard of Broken Dreams, Good Riddance, and, of course, American Idiot. And that's what we're going to focus on. So what's their? what would be their most recognizable big? Good Riddance. That, that uh, okay. Uh, how's it go? Fork stuck in the road. <laughs> we're doing time we're, pass you by, directs you to go. Okay. You know, I kind of recognize that a little more than the one I tried, the rendition <laughs> I tried earlier. It's hard to believe we're musicians, huh, folks? Right. Well, you can't go from <laughs> yeah. spoken word to singing like that. Yeah, it's a little yeah. harder than, I'm just kidding. It is. Totally BS. And uh, speaking of that, we're going to start having our instruments in here very soon. And we still are really getting fixed up to start doing YouTube stuff. So eventually that's going to happen. You know, we totally yeah. should because that might be yeah. easier for us to be able to translate the songs, if we're just like, yeah. okay, hold on, I'm going to play that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, who needs a guitar when you can sound like that? Whatever. So here we go. American <laughs> Idiot. So the album American Idiot was a unique turning point in Green Day's career uh, because much of their success had peaked by this point and... Uh, and we're no longer in the we were no longer in the head bashing nineties, uh, but now we're in the early two thousands and things were pretty different. Never heard it referred to that, but it's good, the head bashing nineties. Head bashing nineties. But there was a lot of it that that emerged during I, that time, right? Yeah, I I would I would say the nineties was a was a great time for rock music and especially for um, political rebellious music as well okay. i think i think so especially not that when, that was when punk because i do recall punk being on the scene obviously early in that but maybe oh yeah. they added that more a little bit heavier metal edge even to sure it, oh yeah it, yeah probably where classic rock and punk kind of met yeah at you know at, at the head was probably in the 90s and and it, it just made for a really sweet sound yeah speculate whatever we want. That's right. No, he's going <laughs> to disagree. I don't know. Uh, so in the early 2000s, music is uh, changing. A lot is happening in the world. Um, we're getting a lot of the political stuff that was going on later. Uh, as far as Green Day's career uh, and their outlook, they had released their album. Uh, it was their uh, sixth album, I believe, uh, called Warning in 2000. Okay. And it tanked in sales. So I'm like, okay, what does tanked mean for a big band like that? Um, so yeah, there's always an interesting take on that. Right. Like with Chris Gaines, it's like, what does that How actually did, mean? Yeah. Right? Yet so yeah. many millions of people know about it. And I mean, yeah. Garth definitely has gained success off of it, but to put it in perspective, uh, their best selling album, Dookie sold 8 million American, 20 million worldwide. Okay. Um, warning only sold 1.2 million copies in America and worldwide it sold 3.5. So in comparison, a little lower, but I'd love to sell 
yeah. one million units of whatever I'm putting out. Yeah, it all it, it all relates to what your um, yeah where you're at obviously in your album sales already. So that would be right. tanked by comparison. And that's why they were they were saying at that point they had peaked. They you know the sales just weren't too bad. Were what they were. So yeah, too bad they um, sold a million point five. Yeah, I mean, hey, I would. It's all good. <laughs> Um, anyways, so moving on, the early 2000s uh, despair that Green Day had found themselves. Uh, they, they were dealing with um, relationship issues. Um, the, the relationship started to dwindle, and, and due to the personal issues between the, the three, Armstrong, Durant, and Trey, um, according to Durant, in, in what the article that I read, he said the band was argument, argumentative. Okay. I can't say that five times fast. That's good. Argumentative. Thank you. And miserable. So it was just an awful time to be a part of this band, and they they didn't have the camaraderie that they did, um, and it needed to shift directions. So they attempted to release a greatest hits album called International Super Hits, uh, but left them feeling it was an, an invitation to a midlife crisis. Oh, Okay. I guess that's a good way to put that. Yeah. Their disagreements stem from Armstrong being too controlling and placing too much judgment and criticism on creative ideas from Mike and Trey. So isn't that just the band thing? It's always it's not always, always one but dude, a lot of times. Yeah. yeah no. Where yeah. Wish we could all live in perfect harmony. Um but I mean, as you can tell, they've gone on to, to record a, several other albums, including American Idiot, so things must have worked out pretty good, and, and that's exactly it. So they found themselves at a crossroads, whether to continue as a band or quit, uh, while they had the chance, and um, since we're going to be talking about their next album, you can assume that they kind of worked it out. Um, okay. it, it noted, it said, it took weeks of personal discussions and a change of heart from Armstrong. Uh, they agreed on more musical input from everyone in respect. With less criticism from Billy. Oh, well, so, there you go. They they were able to use a little bit of diplomacy and right come and to a conclusion. And I mean, for some, for somebody, and I'm not saying that Billy Joe Armstrong has an ego, but when you have an ego, I'm sure it's hard to be able to put that aside and say, okay, I, for the better the better good of things. I want to move forward and positive whatever that, that looks like. Billy so. Joe, yeah, he's got a big ego. Okay. Yeah, I watched him at an iHeartRadio <laughs> no, concert. You did? Okay. Uh, I didn't, not live, not personally, but online. And, and in the video's all over the place. And he's getting mad. So they were in the middle of a song and he stops him and he says, he's, he's cussing and he's like, you're going to give me one minute. You're gonna, I've been around since 1989, and you're going to give me one more minute to play. I'll show you what one minute looks like. And he starts smashing his guitar. Wow. So he's kind of a, a straight shooter, I guess, if you want to A little to bit extroverted. <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's what it takes sometimes. Yeah. A leader so. and to be into mm-hmm. the music industry because it's so cutthroat. Yeah. I don't know if I've got it. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have it now. I'm probably never going to. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> Uh, that pushed them on to spending um, 2002 recording new material that was described as, you'll like this, described as polka songs and filthy versions of Christmas tunes and even salsa numbers. Filthy versions of Christmas tunes. Right. That was the next album? That, that's, that's what they were in the works for. Okay. Um, okay. Trying to do in the hopes this would spark something new in their music going bizarre with this it's totally i mean i'm sure it had the punk feel to it but it definitely wasn't anything that they had written before they were trying something new um so they had completed 20 songs and nearing completion of their uh 2002 album uh, which would have been entitled cigarettes and valentines um 
but they were hit with yet another spell of misery. Someone had stolen the master tapes. What? Yeah. So this led to the band's decision to scrap the project and start over. Wow. Now that's that's weird. But I'll give you a little insight. They ended up finding them. Okay. They've got them Pretty now. Like, They've never released them. Okay. Uh, but they're like, maybe we can use this later on in the future. And hopefully we get to hear that someday. But Does that make you wonder? Maybe that was a strategy or something. But uh, <sighs> like somebody took them home and forgot. They put them in their gym bag. Right. In the back of their bedroom. And now they Maybe somebody again. was like, this is a terrible idea. This is going to go south. Yeah, we don't want to do this. We- We're just going to make it disappear. And this was what year? Again. 2002. So this was back when you still had reel-to-reel. This wasn't digital. Yeah, I mean, so it worked. We're, we're had right. Physical tapes that they stole. Right, we're on the we're on the trend. Here's where we're at in 2002. So tapes are the tapes are the old thing. CDs are really cool, but they're just coming out with. Do you remember Napster? Oh yeah, where yeah. you could get on and you could download mm-hmm. tons of music for free. Yeah, but I'm talking the actual studio masters, which is could what they're probably, referring to. Yeah, yeah, which would be reel to reel. Still, at that point, I don't think things had gone. Had they? It probably because around if the they verge. Said the master tapes, and it could have been okay. It could that's have been what dat, it said. dat tapes or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, that's a technicality, but I'm just curious how, how or what physically disappeared. So. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. in the world of digital, you never have the idea of masters is just anything that's coming out of the master project. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the master, the master take, anyways. Right. Um. So, this is where we're first introduced with American Idiot, the album. Uh, their producer, Rob Caveo, asked them if what was lost was truly their best work. And Armstrong recalls that they couldn't honestly look at themselves and say, this was the best thing we've ever done. Okay. So what a, I think that's part of a producer's job is to yeah. engage with your artists and your, and your musicians that are coming in and get the best you can get out of them. Yeah. When you're when you're responsible for the next big thing with them, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure it takes a lot of uh, pull from someone like that. So no, I think that's a good way to. I mean, I, uh, for me, it's always been a curiosity. Like, what a, a little bit more understanding now, but when I was young too, is like, who's the producer? What does the producer do? And there's lots of things that uh, sort of falls under the you know, the title producer, it's like, I think money, you're, you're, you're raising money, you're doing this and that. But when you think of a producer like Mutt Lang or somebody like that too, you're, yeah, you want to get the best out of them. Yeah. You want to get the best sound. Uh, Sometimes it really involves creating their sound as well, but. And uh, dealing with whatever emotional crap is going on in their lives. You're almost like the babysitter too. I feel like you're trying to get the job done. Yeah. And musicians are, we're sulky anyways, so it's like you got to deal with that. Um, I always thought that a producer was the audio engineer, and that's not always the case. Sometimes right. the producer's this guy in the room yeah. goes, that's it, that's the take, or no, you can do better, or whatever it might be. So. Yeah, there's actually different, I think there are different um, responsibilities or different approaches that different producers use. So, right, Yeah. right. Yeah. So the band set off uh, first with what soon became a friendly competition. I thought this was super, super cool. And who could outright who writing 30 second songs. Okay. Um, and then they would uh, then they would take each 30 second second bits and try to piece them together to complete a full length song. So they would they'd write catchy 30 second stuff 
and then whatever whatever was the best of the best that would fit it together, and it. that would be the full length song. So that's kind of a cool writing technique, I yeah. guess. Yeah, I like that. Um, and one thing I want to note before going any farther, because this is going to kind of segue into what's to come uh, with American Idiot, is uh, Billy Joe Armstrong, he was t- typically the guy that would write a lot of the lyrics for the songs. And um, uh, someone had noted, in, in, and, I, and I couldn't figure out, I, I didn't get a name, but they noted noticed that in, in the last uh, album, that the one that tanked, uh, let me look at that, was called Warning, they noticed his writing style changed from just uh, just singing songs from personal perspective to then creating storylines and creating fictional characters, and um, which is super cool, which is going to lead us into a lot of what American Idiot is all about. Cool. Um, so they would take these 30-second bits, uh, put them together, full-length songs. It took the band 10 months um, and countless nights of partying yeah. and $650,000 wow. to complete this project. Countless nights of partying. He, they said yeah. Billy would have to schedule his his uh, sessions in the studio um, in between his hangover. Oh man, his hangover days. So that's how bad it was. Uh, that takes a toll on the body. Yeah, I I mean I don't know, man. It's it's a crazy life rock stars live. Yeah. Um, yeah. Armstrong is noted for saying around the completion of the album of. I feel like I'm on the cusp of something with this. I really feel like we're really peaking right now. That's good. So that's more of what the producer wanted to hear out of him, I'm guessing, at that point. Right. Um, so I would like to take a little break from the storyline and just talk about the album for a second. Um, if you can remember the early 2000s, like, like what we were talking about before, were kind of a crazy time. And much of the album was written about political events and that were happening. Um, American Idiot, the song... Um, off the the album was inspired by events like the presidency of George W. Bush, 9-11, and also the war in Iraq. Um, and, and the song American Idiot is very much politically driven. It's okay. rebellious in every, every aspect. So cool. um, just some of the words I'm going to read here, some Good, of the lyrics. I was just curious about that. Actually. Yeah, first line out of it is, don't want to be an American idiot, don't want a nation under the new mania. And then, excuse my French here, it says, and can you hear the sound of hysteria, the subliminal mind, fuck America. Oh. Yeah, so they're just hitting them right, which they were mad. They were mad with what was going on in the world, and in my opinion, they had much to be upset about, which is really cool. Um, Welcome to a new kind of tension all across the alien nation where everything isn't meant to be okay. Television dreams of tomorrow were not the ones who were meant to follow, for that's enough to argue. Well, maybe I'm the... I'm not going to read that part. I'm not a part of a redneck agenda. So, I mean, they're just hitting it, man. Hitting it hard. And and this was typical for punk rock, but in the early 2000s, we had a lot of uh, butterfly pop music happening. Uh, Britney Spears... All that kind of stuff. So this was this was different than what they were Have really you hearing read on that mainstream. term before. Or was that your no? That was butterfly. Butterfly pop okay. music. Never you know, heard that just before, yeah. just uh, what what the teens were listening to at the time. God, it's interesting. I never knew that. So I'm not going to lie. In that perspective, the lyrics are are pure genius. Um, and that, I'm not stating that I agree with the political side that that they were holding, but um, I I do feel like. If that was the stance they were taking, I mean, it's, it was going to pump anybody up listening to that. Sure. 
Um, so now that rebel stuff again. Yeah, go, that, that anarchy, yeah. punk rock. Yeah, I mean it. It was the birth of the punk rock. That's the whole the whole aspect around it. So now the rest of the album centers around fictional characters that Billy created, and it's totally awesome. Um, that's kind of what I'm getting to at this whole story. the The concept for this album describes a story of char- uh, of a character named Jesus of Suburbia. And that's the story's anti-hero. Okay. And I had to look up what an anti-hero, 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 I don't know how you want to say it, um, what the definition was. And it's pretty cool. So it's a, a central character in a story, movie, or drama who lacks conventional heroic attributes. So hmm. ends up doing the right thing, but definitely takes the wrong path to get there. Okay. That's my, my um, understanding of it. Okay. Um, so they present other characters throughout the album, like St. Jimmy, who is a punk rock freedom fighter. <laughs> and then there is what's her name, who is like mother revolution figure. Um, and, uh, what's her name is the nemesis of St. Jimmy. And the whole album has like a, a rage versus love vibe. Hmm. Um, and so the main character character, Jesus of suburbia is torn on which character he's going to choose to follow either St. Jimmy, the rebellious anarchist or what's her name. Who is like the lady Liberty following your beliefs and, and ethics. So who's turning this into this Billy? This is, this is the characters that, okay. that Billy is putting into these and you listen to the songs and it's okay. not like a, they're not, it's not, there's not like a narrative going on, but there are these characters are mentioned in these songs okay. and, it, and it's pretty cool how they, that wasn't the, it wasn't like the intent from the get go to create this theme throughout the whole album or was it? I'm guessing it was, I'm okay. guessing it, okay. they took this, this whole, that, you know, they wanted to create this whole storyline and it's, and it's really fun. Um, okay. so the main character, Jesus of Suburbia, he's got to choose which it's almost like that angel and devil on the shoulder situation. He's got to yeah. choose who he's going to follow. Of course he ends up following, uh, what's her name? Uh, cause she's the, she's the, the morally right character out of all of this. What's her name? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and we'll get to why we call her. What's her name? Um, got it. So Jesus Superbia chooses to follow what's her name. This results in Saint Jimmy, the anarchist, committing suicide. And I read in a strange way, it's a, a facet or personality of, of Jesus of Suburbia. So it's like a characteristic or like a, a self persona of a side of him. Like there's a side of him that's the anarchist, but there's a side of him that wants to follow the rules and follow and, and, and be a good boy. Mm-hmm. Um at the end of the album, Jesus Jesus of Suburbia loses connection with what's her name, which is why he can't remember her name. Oh, so then we okay. we're then we're presented with it's a reflection of these characters of Jesus of Suburbia's telling the story, reflecting on that. Got it. Um, so I don't know about you, but I never put that much time and effort into writing a group of songs so that they correlate like that. That's like pretty huge. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like I say, I, I was thinking it was more of something like you see what happened with ABBA and they did the musical and that was kind of taking all of these songs and weaving it together in a story. But if he actually did it from the get go, that makes, you know, it makes more sense. Well, I'm glad that to. you said musical, Marty. Ah, okay. so um, the album was a huge success. It uh, sold 16 million worldwide. They had um, they had won a Grammy for it for I think it was the best rock best rock album of the year. Oh wow! Um, yeah, record of the year in two thousand six. Right. 
Um, so and this would have been the next release after the album that tanked. That tanked. So they tanked, came yeah. back big time. They did everything right. They came yeah. back stronger and better, and it's turned out to be their best-selling album of all time, American wow. Idiot. Yeah. Okay. So, like you said, musical. The out. Al- this is kind of what I was getting to. The album was developed into oh, a you musical. You were getting somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it first debuted at the Berkeley Repertory Theater in 2009, and it quickly became the top-grossing show in the theater's history. Uh, the cast included John Gallagher Jr., who played Johnny. And Johnny is a character developed from Jesus of Suburbia. Okay. That's the main character. Uh, and then they added some other characters. Like, changed him to Johnny. Okay. They, they, yeah, Johnny. Yeah. And so they can't call him Jesus. Got to call him Johnny. Yeah, okay. And so Matt Kaplan and Michael Esper um, as Tooney and Will, which are friends of Johnny. And then Rebecca Naomi Jones, who I don't know any of these guys are, um, as what's-her-name. And it really launched the career for these guys. Um, oh, so it went from being a it yeah, kind of playing in. I don't know who they are, but <laughs> yeah, it, it went from being played in these small theaters, and and it and it was the top grossing show, like I said, for this this specific specific Berkeley theater. Um, it then went into a Broadway uh, musical where it was housed at the St. James Theater on Broadway. Um, Broadway or off Broadway? On Broadway, right on Broadway. <laughs> on Broadway. <laughs> You know, there is a difference, right? I don't, but okay. it was at, yeah, okay. the, uh, literally on Broadway Street is St. James Theater. So I'm guessing it was on Broadway, right? That's, is that the difference? I don't know. Not sure I'm not a exactly theater guy. Physically, yeah, okay. Well, they were physically on Broadway, Marty, okay? Yeah, okay. We will clarify what that means if you're off Broadway versus yeah. Broadway. So um, as a promotion for the show, the cast did a performance during the Grammys in 2010 alongside Green Day. Green Day had written all of the music cool. for the Broadway show. Okay. So not only are they based off of the songs that are on the actual American Idiot album, everything else that you hear Green Day helped write. Um, what was cool is occasionally Billy Joe Armstrong would play the role of St. Jimmy. The Broadway show uh, recording won the 2011 Grammy Award for Best Musical Show Album. The Broadway show was still holding performances up to 2019, uh, but since all Broadway shows and off-Broadway shows mm-hmm. are suspended due to COVID. Oh, and it was still currently It was co- current up okay. to 2019, and then I tried to find oh. if they were still showing it, and it said, I think it was like September is when they're going to tr- try to resume all Broadway shows. So they, they used the music from the album. Right. But since it was other people singing it in the musical version right. as well, they also recorded a soundtrack. For that they released for that. That well. one, and then that one, a 2011 Grammy for Best Musical Show Album. Got it. Gee, we have a couple things to watch now. We've got the the uh, documentary, which I did find the name of it too. It's called Orion, the Man Who Would Be King. Sweet. And that was released in 2015. And then this is called. This is called American Idiot, the Broadway American show. Idiot, the Broadway. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Very cool. And, and there's is there a filmed version of it? I don't think so. I don't. I mean, I, I'm sure you can watch. I'm sure you can watch a live uh, performance of the Broadway show. Might be on YouTube or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure you can. I'm sure somewhere there is. But I just think it's so super cool. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I can understand a little bit ABBA developing out of that, but out of a genre like punk rock, writing like a total storyline, it just seems like a very creative thing to do, especially in that genre, to come up with this storyline that's later transformed into a broadway show it's like that's just usually not the rockers no. way you know um well and to uh, to see that it was that successful where it continued to play 
Well, you know, and that, I think that's sort of a changing element of Broadway a little bit. Right. Um, you're looking at a younger, younger generations infusing, you know. What uh, they know yeah, into Broadway. Yeah, into Broadway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I can speak a lot for Broadway. I've seen a couple shows. I've seen Wicked. I love Wicked. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to see American Idiot. Um, but I don't know a lot of the history and, and stuff around it. But I think this is probably a cool turning point in in history to take uh, something that was written from this punk rock album, turn it into a storyline to follow on Broadway. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, and Hamilton, which is huge. Oh, yeah. Huge. And that... I believe if, you know, I may be wrong, there's probably other ones, but as far as being as big as that was, it used stylistically elements of rap music and, you know, I think you're right. I think, yeah, all that. So yeah, there it's changing, which is cool. Things evolve. It's not just the old traditional um, Broadway musical that we might have known growing up or at least I knew growing up. So. And it's probably, I mean, if you were a grunge follower, punk kid and you loved Green Day and then you were like, "Oh, they made a Green Day Broadway show." Yeah. You're le- you're more likely to go see it. So it's probably just opening kids and the youth up to this. Yeah. Maybe they would have never explored if their genre never crossed into it. It's a good way to look at it, too. It's exposing it to more uh, more generations, more, uh, you know, just, yeah, there, there's, it's not your typical audience like it used to be either. And that's yeah. good. I'm sure that helps as far as revenues for Broadway as yeah. well to have more of a cross section of uh, the culture that's going to check out Broadway. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, so that's it. That's the story of Green wow. Day's American Idiot album being turned into a Broadway show. Well, I wish I was trying, and because of my slow internet right now, again, um, I could not find a little clip from it just to hear what it sounded like on Broadway. I wish I could. Yeah. Um, we're going to have to maybe do that next when time. When I YouTube it, it, they were all over. So, yeah, if you're interested in hearing that, just uh, American Idiot Broadway show, and it pulls up a bunch. It even pulled up some of the snippets of the actual show might have been neat if you would have done that jared you know had a, had a little <laughs> snippet from it jared that might have been cool here we go here we go american idiot los angeles well this says full show but oh, uh yeah i'm just going to do a american idiot broadway preview um see if this loads i just want to hear i'm very curious i'm seeing some very um hmm so they were just showing a clip of some scenes that look a little intense too. really yeah like, it's not rated PG, I think. It might be rated, well, it's rated at least PG-13. It's not rated G. We'll put it that way. Here we go. Okay. So just showing clips from the show, um, scantily clad women and some extracurricular activities here. Okay, there's your line right there. So, okay, so there. it's a little bit of a tamer version just slightly yeah than than theirs but this reminds me of my daughter isabel as you know right and we went to spain and we watched they did heathers and have oh. you ever seen the movie heathers no uh-uh. it's some fairly um, intense subject matter that they're dealing with and i never saw the actual broadway version i got to see them present it and it was fascinating it was really fascinating yeah but it was the same thing we got our, our little guy with us who's nine and uh, we're kind of thinking, oh, are we going to have to cover his ears up here right. or his eyes? And there was a little bit of intensity, but 
I think because it was so wrapped up in all of this performance and music and uh, you know spectacle that it was fine. It was yeah. almost like educational for him. Right. The arts. But, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's exactly. cool. Exactly. So I, I want to see this now. Yeah, my wife loves musicals, and I'm I want to take her to a Broadway show so bad. You know, of course we're gonna have to wait because yeah, we're not showing anything like that. But this uh, might be a fun one to go see. Yeah. There you go. And yeah. may, well, here's the full version is on YouTube. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Say that. We'll have to check that out after we watch Orion, the man who would be king. The Presley Doppelganger. Coming 2020. <laughs> I like that we called it in our description the Elvis Doppelganger, and we used that. And then I mean, they yeah, actually that's what he was, right? Yeah, that's what they said here. <laughs> they called him the Doppelganger again here. So and it's such a fun word anyway. Doppelganger. Anytime that you can say doppelganger and use it in a sentence, you're having a good day. Right. <laughs> that and other words coming to you by outside the mic. Right. There you go. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, you have been listening to Outside the Mic. Again, I'm Jarrett Weimer. And I'm Martin Meyer. Tune in next time to Outside the Mic every other Monday. Uh, and we will once again banter All Matters Musical. And check out Outside the Mic at OutsideTheMic.com and all podcast streaming platforms. Thanks for listening again, Outsiders. We appreciate it. Thank you. Outside.